Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'lif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Inna alhamda lillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'gfiruhu wa nasta'hadi'u وَنَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ شُرُورِ أَنفُسِنَا وَمِنْ سَيِّئَاتِ أَعْمَالِنَا فَمَنْ يَهْدِهِ اللَّهُ فَلَا مُضِلَّ لَهُ وَمَنْ يُضْلِلْ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَحْدَهُ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبْدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ ثُمَّ أَمَّا بَعْدُ السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته it's always special to start a new book. And the fact that this is a writer who was born in the year 1250 of the Common Era, who is speaking to us. We're sitting now, 2023 in January. And this, was, this wasn't a prophet, right? This was a regular person, just like you and I who has something to say, and we hope something of value about what it means to worship God. Whenever I'm a part of that kind of process, I feel quite blessed and lucky to be a part of this trans-historical, trans-generational community of people worshiping God. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm sitting here like, I'm a black man in Chicago in 2023, teaching the work of an Egyptian writer who was born in 1250. That's just kind of cool. Just, just sit with that for a minute, right? That's just kind of cool, mashallah. So he begins the book, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. He says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbul Alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbul Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. All praise is due to God, the Lord of everything that exists. And we direct prayers and we send salutations of peace to Muhammad upon his family and upon his companions, all of them. You know, one of the hardest things for me to embrace when I first became Muslim was this love that people had for the family of the Prophet Muhammad, As an American convert to Islam, there was something about this that just didn't seem egalitarian enough. It didn't seem, it's like, well, what's so special about them? They're human beings just like we're human beings. Why are we invoking prayers on them? Why are we focused on them? They're just people. And this was something that I found very difficult to accept. And one of my teachers, he explained this love for the family of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, in two ways, both of which resonated with me. He said, first, because he was teaching this, he said something about the family of the prophet, peace be upon him. And I made some kind of 
facial gesture, like, yes, that stuff happens in the circles of knowledge too. I was sitting with this sheikh studying this ancient book. He said something about the family of the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And I did something with my lips like, like, you know, whatever. And he said, wait, hold on. This is something that agitates you. And I knew that I was safe with him. I said, yeah, kind of. I said, you know, as, as a black American, any, any, any idea of rank or esteem that is connected to biodeterministic things like where you were born or how your skin is, that just rubs me the wrong way. I don't like stuff like that. Now, if you tell me someone has virtue because of merit, something they've done, these were prayerful people. These were people of great charity. These were people of good character. Okay, this is where their virtue stems from. But if you're telling me it's something about their birth, as an African-American, that just doesn't resonate with me. And I was in the hands of a very gentle teacher. And he said, hmm, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the history of your people, what you've gone through, what you've experienced, and why something like that might rub you the wrong way. Like, I appreciate that, right? He said, but... Think about a family as a nisbah. Think about a family as something to which you are affiliated. You're affiliated with your family. He said, that does not mean that your family is in any way a substitute for your individual effort. It just means that you are associated with your family, right? I said, what do you mean? He said, uh, in, in an American context, think about it like a university. I said, okay, continue. He said, a physicist from MIT is not necessarily better than a physicist from Illinois State. Because he knew I was from the state of Illinois, right? We would have to look at the quality of their work product to see who was actually better, who actually made more of a contribution to science, whose work was stronger. We'd have to look at their work. He said, the same thing is true of people, but at the very least, would you be willing to concede that the, the physicist from MIT has a stronger nisba? He has a stronger affiliation than the physicist from Illinois State. I said, yeah, I'd be, my mother went to Illinois State, so it was hard for me to concede. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'd be willing to concede that. You know, he has a stronger, his affiliation is stronger. It doesn't mean he's better. He said, such is the case of the Ahlul Bayt. Their affiliation is to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Doesn't mean that they are individually better than you, but their affiliation is to the best of creation. And I was like, okay, 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 that, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. The second way that he helped me understand this love for the family of the prophet, peace be upon him. He said, do you have anyone that you love? He said, think of your best friend right now. And I thought about Shamar Hempel, who used to work for Iman, who's still a Muslim in the Chicagoland community, 
we grew up together. I consider Shamar Hemphill like a brother to me, right? I don't know if any of you know him, but I consider him like a brother to me. And he said, at this time, Shamar didn't have any children. And I think I had one child. But he said, if something happened to him, may Allah extend his years. And there were people that he loved, say his daughter, say his son, say his relatives. Would you feel it an extension of your love for him to attend his daughter's recital? To um, uh, 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 go to his son's basketball game? I said, certainly I would feel an extension of my love for him. Such is your love for the family of the Prophet Muhammad That in his absence, I am honored to love and to honor the people that he would love, the people that he would serve if he were present. You see? And I was like, man, you're a good teacher. <laughs> I said, you're, not, you're a good teacher. That, I understand the love for the family of the prophet. Now, you're a good teacher, right? So he begins sending peace on the prophet Muhammad, والسلام, his family and his companions, right? So it's not just about blood, right? They're associated with him by virtue. هَذَا كِتَابٌ تَاجُ this is the book, The Bridegroom's Crown. It is al-hawi, that which is filled with content to help us to polish our souls. The word in Arabic, tahdib. And by the way, the class is not going to be this tedious with me explaining every word, right? But this is just the opening to the class. The word tahdib means to polish something. This is a book whose author intends to give us something with which we can polish our souls, to make your soul shine, to make it uh, glow, to make your soul something incandescent. You know, whenever I'm thinking about the word Khuluk, which in Arabic means character. You have to think about khuluk as kind of the, the counterpart of khalaq. Your khalaq is your outward appearance, how you look. That is your khalaq, how you look. And if you look, mashallah, you have great hair. If you look at all of the attention we give to our khalaq, some of us go to the gym. All of us use hair products. Many of us use skin products. Some of us, we have eye cream. What did the comedian say? You know, you have to put eye cream on while slightly opening your mouth. Right? And you can only use your middle finger. Right? I thought that was funny. All of the, we get haircuts every week, every two weeks. We, we, we spend I don't know how much money on our clothes, making sure that, you know, they are clothes that are inspiring. And if you're into natural materials like I am, you love wools and cashmeres and all of this is for your khalaq. Just how you look to people. Even though the messenger of Allah said, Inna Allah la 
ila surikum wala yanzuru ila alwanikum walakin yanzuru ila qulubikum sallallahu alayhi wasallam allah does not look at your outward forms that's just something to think about all of the attention we give to the outward right another set at the gym ah, allah does not care if we're muscular or not right making sure to do my skincare routine before going to bed and allah does not care if our skin is blemish free or not but then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said however he does look at your hearts and he looks at your deeds this is what god looks at so we should ask ourselves how much attention have we directed to beautifying that as we direct so much energy to beautifying our outward you know the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he looked into the mirror and he said allahumma ahsin khuluqi kama ahsanta khalqi he said oh god perfect my character as you have perfected my outward form this hadith in my estimation is an entire minhaj for us this is an entire way of being for us the prophet did not deny his outward beauty you don't have to deny things that are superficially beautiful about you don't deny your beautiful smile Don't deny your beautiful hair. Don't deny your beautiful uh, apparel. Don't deny your beautiful home. You don't have to deny those things that are superficially beautiful about your life. The prophet, you know, some of us, subhanallah, we often, and I'm sure you've heard me say this, but we often confuse self-deprecation for humility. as if downing yourself makes you humble i'm so stupid i'm so ugly i'm so disorganized i'm wait hold on you you really think that you know allah subhanahu wa ta'ala huwa alladhi yusawwirukum fil arhami kayfa yasha god formed you in the wombs of your mothers however he wanted to and you call god's handiwork ugly god has given you all of the blessings and favors you enjoy in your life and you call them nothing man this is nothing this car nothing this house nothing astaghfirullah this is a kind of kufran and ni'ma in gratitude for the favors of allah and we think by this kind of self deprecatory humor we're being humble this is humility right no it's humility to say no this is beautiful this is nice i am beautiful but god is the source of my beauty god is the source of my favors god is the source of my blessings that's the first thing and then the second thing the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did not suspend his appeal to god at the superficial he used the superficial to go to the significant allahumma ahsin khuluqi kama ahsanta khalqi make my character beautiful just as you have made my form beautiful 
Yeah, I look good on the outside. I'm not denying it. Alhamdulillah. But it's more important that you make me look good on the inside. That's what I want. Right? So he continues. Ta'lifu al-shaykh al-imam al-jami'i bayna ilmay al-shari'ati wal-haqiqati This is the work of the shaykh the great joiner between the two types of knowledge, the knowledge of the outward and the knowledge of the inward, that he is talking about Ibn Ta'illah and saying he is a scholar of both. The outward of practicing Islam, the halal, the haram, how do you make wudu, right? Types of water, how do you pay your zakah, how do you make your hajj? Ibn Ta'ala was a scholar of those things, but he was also a scholar of the inward realities of Islam. How do I rid myself of arrogance? How do I become more forgiving? How do I become a better neighbor? How do I become a better son, a better daughter, a better husband, a better wife, a better friend? How do I become more repentant to my Lord? How do I become more generous in my giving with my resources? He was also a scholar of those things. And it's amazing. One teacher of mine said, if you take the entire corpus of the Quran, only about 20% of the verses of the Quran are about those outward things. The other 80% is actually about those inward things. And he said, the khitab, the preaching and the teaching in our community is the exact opposite. 80% of what we talk about is those outward things. This is halal, this is haram. This is how you do this, this is how you do that. Don't do this, do that. And maybe 20% is, this is how one frees herself, frees himself of arrogance. This is how one becomes more understanding. One becomes more generous. This is how one becomes more forgiving. We don't even talk about those things. Ibn Ta'ilah, he was a scholar of both. He says, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, may Allah have mercy on him. And may Allah place him in the vast expanse of his garden, subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَأَفَاضَ عَلَيْنَا وَعَلَى الْمُسْلِمِينَ مِنْ بَرَكَتِهِ And may Allah give us an abundant flood. May Allah give us, uh, يعني, uh, shower us in His blessing. You know, baraka. Baraka, if someone asks me to describe baraka, what is it? What is barakah? I would probably describe barakah, blessing, is a kind of positive energy that God puts into something. And through that energy, that thing is able to exceed its normal capacity. That's blessing. So if there's blessing in your money, you find that you can do more with that money than you would ordinarily be able to do. If there's blessing in your time, you can do more with that time than you can, you know, ordinarily do with time. If there's blessing in your work, 
right? Here I am in Chicago. We talked about this at the onset, 2023, a black man from the south side of Chicago reading the work of Ibn Ta'ala, who was born in 1250 in Alexandria. That, my, my brothers and sisters, is a sign of barakah. He probably wrote this book thinking maybe it could help some of the people in my, you know, immediate vicinity. You know, he probably, you think he was thinking, you know, this might, there may be a little black guy named Will Evans who will convert to Islam, change his name to Ubaid. Maybe this will help him out. I can almost assure you, he was not thinking that. He was looking at his society, his reality, and thinking, maybe I could write something to help people know their Lord. And here I am reading this book to all of you in 2023 in Chicago. That is Baraka. There's Baraka in this work. There's blessing in this work. That God has made the relevance of this work cross generations, oceans, cultures, languages, ethnicities. And here we are discussing it. That's Baraka. So in a sense, the dua has been answered. May Allah shower us in his Baraka. We're experiencing his Baraka, right? He says, and he ends with a prayer. Then we begin the actual text of the book. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. He says, Ayyuhal abd, utlubit tawbata minallahi fi kulli waqtin fa inna allaha ta'ala qad nadabaka ilayha fa qala ta'ala tubu ilallahi jami'an ayyuhal mu'minuna la'allakum tuflihun. He said, oh, one who belongs to God. You know, I got to bring you guys into this. I got to bring you guys into this. We were talking about this yesterday. You will find in the Quran, in the Sunnah of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and in the writings of our classical scholars, those men and women, the use of the word abd, and the use of the word ibad. The way we translate that is always difficult. Because if you say slave, the word slave has a very negative connotation. When we hear slave, we hear demoralization. Someone that under someone else's ownership has been divested of their humanity demoralized, broken. That's what we hear, we hear slave. But if you say servant, servant does not convey the idea of al-milkatam, complete ownership, right? right? Servant just means that you, someone is serving someone else. It doesn't mean that they belong completely to that other person. So I was explaining to my Monday night students you know, a very esteemed and scholarly group of people, you have to understand, mashallah, that it's always difficult for me as a translator. I don't want to say slave, because even for me, the word has a very negative connotation. But I want to convey this idea that this is a term about one who belongs 
completely to God and belongs to nothing else completely. So I thought, why don't I just translate it? Oh, one who belongs completely to God, right? That was my resolution, right? So he says, Ayu hal abd. Oh, one who belongs completely to God. Utslubit toba. Seek repentance from God. Utslubit toba. Seek repentance from God. You will never find a book in our spiritual tradition except that it begins with an exhortation to repentance. Because the repentance, which is just a fancy way of saying returning to God, is the beginning of every spiritual journey. Every journey of the spirit begins with returning to God, right? Toba, Toba. You know, sometimes I regret that much of the early translation of Muslims was taken directly from books of Catholic authorship. So when we translate a term like toba, we translate it repentance, right? Penance. These are words that people don't really use, right? I always tell people, man, there are certain English words. If I hear somebody say the word, I know they're Muslim. Because only Muslims use those words. Like, Enjoining good. Salam alaikum. I've never heard someone who wasn't Muslim use the word enjoin in that context. I've never heard someone who wasn't Muslim say, Yeah, I'm just enjoining my friends to. No, you're enjoining the salam alaikum. The word ablution. Uh, do you have a place that I could make my ablution? Salam alaikum. Circumambulation. They were circumambulating, salamatic, right? <laughs> so repentance is not quite one of those words. I've heard Christians use the word repentance, but repentance sounds a little Star Trekian. I'm aging myself. You say, you know, I feel this a time of repentance in my life, a time of atonement. See, I sound like one of the, the characters from Downton Abbey, you see. This is a time of atonement in my life. No, no. Repentance, think about it as reorienting yourself toward God. Reorienting yourself toward God. Now, I know someone is listening, someone who is spiritually high-minded, and they're thinking, return to God. I've never left God. Somebody's thinking, I know it. Right? There's always that one that has that Donald Trump. Do you ever repent for what? I never do anything wrong. <laughs> do you ever repent for what? Repent for that. Repent for that statement. Right? You ever repent for what? There's one person in our assembly perhaps thinking, return to God. I've never gone anywhere. We don't mean return as if you've gone somewhere, but to check the heart. In every moment, 
making sure the heart is oriented to God, right? It's kind of like, okay, I'll give you a good contemporary example. Even when we're using the GPS, the GPS is audibly giving us instruction. I'm using Google Maps or something like that. How often do you look at the phone just to make sure you're going the right way? It's there, you have it there on the dashboard. It's saying, you still what? Look at the phone to make sure. Okay, am I going the right way? Okay, am I going the right way? It always confused me because it says, left turn on King Drive, 50 feet. I'm like, well, King Drive is right here. I make the left and then it goes down to zero really quickly. Okay, that was, right. but you keep looking to make sure that's Toba. That you're looking at your heart to make sure it's directed to Allah. It's directed to Allah. It's directed to Allah. It's directed to Allah. In fact, this is the highest form of dhikr. The highest form of remembering God is just checking in with the heart. It's directed to God. It's directed to God. It's directed to God. And someone can do that so frequently that it just becomes their state of being. Even when they're not saying, I stuck for the law, stuck for the law, stuck for the law, it just becomes their state of being. Right? But that's another lesson the connection between the tongue and your hand, your state of being. See, if you keep saying, Alhamdulillah, 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 all praises for God, all praises for God, all praises for God. Even when you stop saying it, your state is still radiating. This is why we remember God audibly. There's a connection between the tongue and the soul, right? It's just like if someone walks around or someone gets up and they say every day, I'm the best, I'm the best. DJ Khaled, we the best. I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. They say this all the time. At some point you would see them walking. They're not saying I'm the best, they're walking. But they are saying I'm the best. He doesn't have to say it audibly anymore. It's a part of who he is now. You say, okay, he's still, he's the best. The same thing is true with Toba. You say a stuck for the law, but if you say a stuck for the law, this becomes your state. So when he says, seek Toba from Allah at all times. Ibn Ta'ala is actually saying, this has become your state of being. Not that you're always at every time saying a stuck for the law. Right? He's not just saying audibly. I mean, how could you have a conversation with anybody? Stuck for the law, stuck for the law. How's it going? Stuck for the law, stuck for the Pretty good. Stuck for the law. Stuck for the law, 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 stuck for the law. You want to get a burger? You're stuck for the law, mashallah. Stuck for the law, 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 stuck for the law. Give me a horseradish havari. Stuck for the law, stuck for No, 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 it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's become a part of you because you seek God's forgiveness with your tongue, it has become a part of you. It's how you exist. And he says, ta'ala." He said, God has told you to do this. God has told you to seek his forgiveness. And he quoted the verse, Tubu ilallah, orient yourselves to Allah. Ayyuhal mu'minun, O believers in Allah. La'allakum tuflihun. 
By doing this, perhaps you will be successful. Now, it's beautiful that he mentions God has recommended this for you. The Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, said in an authentic hadith, God does not want you to be a people who does not make mistakes. All of the children of Adam make mistakes. All men and women make mistakes. And the best of those who make mistakes are those who return to God after they make mistakes. And he said, if you were a people who did not make mistakes, God would replace you with a people who did, who then returned to him after they made mistakes. Brothers and sisters, the angels do not commit sins. They are always obedient to God. God did not create us to be angels. The reason for that, and this is something you find in many tafasir, he said, God did not create us to be angels. The reason for this is that if we were angels, there would be aspects of his divinity that we would not know. Mainly his rahmah, his grace, and his mercy. You only know mercy, you only know grace when you have fallen short of the glory of God. Ibn Ta'ala, this scholar that we're reading, in another book, right, he said, haven't you seen the Quran? When God was creating Adam, he said to the angels, I'm placing in the earth a representative, right? Adam and our mother Hawa, alayhim salam I'm placing in the earth. Now you learn after that, that initially they were in Aden, they were in Eden. And after the Edenic fall, right? They come to earth. So they make this mistake. They appeal to God. God forgives them, but earth is still their dwelling place after the mistake. But at the very beginning, God said, We were created to make mistakes. We were created for the Edenic fall. We were created for that. He didn't say, I'm placing in Jannah a representative. No, I'm placing in the earth. We were created for the fall. And it is through the fall that we learn of God's grace. And I'll have you know, this, believe it or not, brothers and sisters, is one of the biggest differences between Muslim origin stories and Christian origin stories. You see, in the Christian origin story, not only does God remove them from paradise, right? And I don't, of course, Christianity is, um, you know, uh, a religion that is centuries old. And I'm sure there are many different schools of interpretation, many different interpretations of theology. I'm only mentioning one 
that I believe to represent an orthodox position of many Christian denominations, okay? That not only does God remove them from the garden, but the sin that they committed is carried by their progeny. This is what they call original sin. And that sin is only atoned for by the death of Jesus Christ, right? This is an orthodox position in the church that they carry the original sin of Adam and Eve. And that sin is atoned for by the vicarious sacrifice of Jesus, the lamb, the sinless son of God, so that the sins of humanity can be forgiven. Muslim scholars read this and think, no, 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 God forgave them from the very beginning. And Christians are like, what? <laughs> no, no, there was no need for any vicarious atonement, right? Adam said to Allah, if you don't forgive us, God, we will be from among those that have lost. God granted him forgiveness. God granted him forgiveness, but still said, the earth is your dwelling place. Right? That is our story of the beginning. So our species, our foreparents, the story is rooted in the mercy of God. That's the beginning for us. Us making mistakes, God forgiving us. Like that's where it starts. So when he says, God has nedebeka, God has said, Tubu ilallah. This is what God wants from you. God does not want perfection from you. God does not expect perfection from you. We are creatures that vacillate. Nothing is permanent about us. We go up, we go down, right? The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, Al-Iman Yazidu wa Yankus. Faith, it goes up, it goes down. Sometimes you feel very strong in your faith. You know those times when you're looking at the prayer schedule. What time does uh, uh, the dawn prayer come in? 5.51. Babe, set the alarm for 5.20. Get up, do some worship. What's up? My Iman is high. Sometimes it's like, what time is the time of shuruq? What time is sunrise? 7.18. Set the clock for 7.10. You're going to get up and make one of those automatic measures when you just splash yourself with the water and, and just roll back into bed all in one motion. Like, You've done it before. That's a knowing laugh. Right? The faith, it goes up, it goes down. Sometimes you're strong, right? Sometimes you're strong. You know, we joke as teachers, people that have, you know, post-Islamic conference, exaggerated Iman syndrome. You know, you leave out of that talk and you say, man, I'm going to fast every day. I'm, I'm going to read three edges of the Quran every morning. Yeah, we've all said it before. That might last for two days, you know. We've done that, you know, it goes up, it goes down. You make promises to Allah and you break those promises. I'll never do this again. You did it again. No, you know, you know, you, you did it again. Right? That is what it means to be human. You did it again. And this, this 
verse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is God saying every time that happens, ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to forgive you. Keep going back. Keep going back. Right? He says, what call a ta'ala and God Almighty has said, Inna Allah yuhibbu tawabina wa yuhibbu al-mutatahireen. God has said, and God loves people of Tawbah. You know, Ibn Ta'ilah, in another place, in another book called At-Tanweer fi Isqat al-Tadbir, he said, if God loves people who make Tawbah, that means God loves sinners. Whenever I say that, I feel like a preacher. If God loves people who make Tawbah, that means God loves sinners. Because only people who make mistakes, only people who make, who commit sins, make Tawbah. Right? So no matter where we are, we should know that in repairing the relationship with God, this is how we become receptacles of divine love. Not in being perfect. Success is not measured by how long you can stay at the top and stay faultless. Good luck. Success is measured in how enthusiastically you can bounce back after having made a mistake. I'm still fighting. I'm still coming. I'm, I'm coming back, right? This is Toba. The Prophet ﷺ was trying to explain Toba. He was narrating this hadith to Sayyidina Omar. And this is in the Sahih of Imam Muslim. Listen to this analogy, right? And sometimes I feel that if we activated the more literary parts of our brains, we would benefit from religious guidance more. I think we're very technical. We're very detail-oriented kind of technocrats. So what are you saying? It's like, just listen to the story. Be inspired by it. Try to, try to grasp its, its import, its fahwa. The Prophet said, imagine somebody traveling in the desert. Now, for those of you that have never traveled in the desert, and I have, I, I traveled in the deserts of Yemen. You too, mashallah, talal as well. It's lonely out there, man. It's lonely out there. I mean, our bus would drive, you wouldn't see a tree, anything, but miles. He said, imagine a traveler in the desert. All of this traveler's provision, his bidaa, are on a camel. They're strapped to a camel. He tethers the camel. He goes to do something, to rest or something like that. He comes back to where he tethered the camel to find the camel gone. This means food, drink, everything else, it's gone. He frantically looks for the camel. The camel has run off. After some time, the traveler resolves 
to accept the fact that he's going to die, right? This is not where it's like, he can just like activate the roaming on his phone and this call somebody, or maybe someone's gonna pass by and pick him up, he's dead. He says, oh my God, man, I'm done. it's over. I, you know, I had, my journey was seven days. I had enough food and drink to last me. It's over for me. He said, just as he lays down to accept his fate, he sees the camel come into view, carrying all of his belongings. He said, can you imagine the joy of that traveler. <laughs> I'm gonna live. And then he says, because of the shiddah of his farha, because of the intensity of his joy, he says, oh God, I, you are my servant and I am your Lord, right? Like he's so overjoyed that he can't even think straight. He can't even think straight. He says, this is how happy God is when one of his servants that's doing something wrong repents. Can you imagine that happiness? I'm dead. I'm not dead. Imagine your joy. I know I'm a very bad thespian. I am not selling this story. I should have, I should have laid down in front of you. I'm dead. It's over. It's not over. Imagine the joy, the intensity of your joy. He said, God is happier when one of his servants makes Toba than that person is. And that's amazing, man. That's amazing. But in order for that to happen, it would first require that we would be on the wrong path. We're on the wrong path. And when we recognize, wait, this isn't right. I don't want to do this. You know, many people, and this is one of the powerful things about convert stories, because conversion to Islam is like the Toba of Tobas. It's like the Toba. And if you talk to converts, many of them can tell you about the moment of guidance. You know, there was one story that I remember in particular, and we're not talking hand-to-hand -hand drug sales. We're talking what is known in the street as weight, big drugs. And he said that he was... Make the story more interesting if it was his boat. He was at a, on a yacht, at a yacht party. It was an all-white party. Something that people do in Chicago, on Lake Michigan. He said he was wearing all white. He had diamonds on his fingers, had a diamond-encrusted watch, had jewelry. And he said he was looking off the boat at the sun. And he said that something just spoke to him and said, man, this is going nowhere. This is going nowhere. And he said that he heard it two times, man, this is going nowhere. And he said, that was the moment 
at which I started spiritually seeking. Like he remembered the moment of Toba. And whenever we would talk about Toba, he would say, I would imagine after becoming Muslim, Allah's pleasure with me in that moment that I accepted that voice. Man, this is going nowhere. Right? He said, you know, I mean, I still finished the party, had a couple of drinks still. With, but it was that moment that I saw, this isn't it. You know, this, this, this isn't it, man. There's something more. That was the moment of Toba. Many, many of us, we've experienced that. Maybe we were at a nightclub. We looked around and said, man, I got to get out of here. Man, this, this, ain't, this, 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 this ain't my set. This isn't me. Man, I got to get out of here. It's the moment of Toba. God's joy in that moment when you do that. Nah, this ain't me, man. Like one of my friends said, man, he was living with his girlfriend. He loved her. He said, I'm better than this. I'm a Muslim. My parents didn't raise me like this. I want to marry you. That moment. He looked, I, I, I want to marry you. I can't. I'm, I'm, this isn't me. He said, she was shocked. Are you proposing to me? Yes. My answer is yes. They, they, got, they got married. I, I'm, I'm better. I can't do this, man. I'm, I'm, my parents didn't raise me like this. He said, he just rolled out of bed and looked at her and just thought, this is a good woman. Why am I? I'm better than this. I can't do this anymore. We can't live together. I'm going to marry you. That's the moment of Toba. That's the moment of Toba. This is what the Prophet is talking about. God is happy with his servant when she does that. I said, servant. The one who belongs only to him when she does that. Man, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. This isn't me, right? You know, um, there's an imam, mashallah. He was the first person that I heard this from. He said, whenever Allah mentions his love in the Quran, he never mentions that love in association with the angels. He never mentions that love in association with the Kaaba. He never mentions that love in association with the Quran. He mentions that love only in association with people that are defined by virtue. And he said that there are seven, Imam Fode Drame, I learned this from him. He said there are seven categories that are mentioned by God as what he loves in only those seven. One of them is Tawabin, the people who repent to him. One of them is the Mutatahirin, the people who want to purify themselves. Another is the mutaqeen, the people of taqwa, the people that have reverential fear of God, not the fear of trepidation, the fear of reverence. You see, the fear of trepidation is different. The fear of trepidation is like, I'm scared that you're going to hurt me. The fear of reverence is how I'm afraid of displeasing my mother. 
Many of you know my mother. That's the fear of reverence. I think, in fact, I told somebody, my mom, if I, alhamdulillah, my mother accepted Islam last year. And if I were thinking about the hardest thing that I could teach her about Islam, the hardest thing, like, what would be the hardest thing for me to teach my mother about Islam? You know what it would be? This idea of al-wala wal bara. This idea of liking and disliking, being affiliated and uh, being disassociated with something for the sake of God. Because nothing would tell my mother that she couldn't love her children or she couldn't be like with them, for them, that you just couldn't tell her that. There's nothing that I could do that I could imagine that my mother would not love me, forgive me, embrace me. That's just the kind of woman that she is. So my fear of displeasing my mother is not a fear that she won't forgive me. I know she will forgive me. My mother, I know she will forgive me. I like, I know she will forgive me. The fear is I wouldn't want to displease her because I esteem her so highly that I wouldn't want to let her down. See, that is taqwa. It's not the fear of trepidation. Right? The fear of trepidation is something different than that, right? And there are other categories, right? We'll, 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 we'll make a point of going through them next week, but I've already been given the sign, right, to wrap it up. But on this point of motherhood and, and love, one of the Sahaba, he said, my belief in God's mercy and his forgiveness is so great that if someone asks me, on Yom Al-Qiyamah, if you could choose to be judged by Allah or your mother, who would you choose? He said, I would choose Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is my belief in God's mercy. That is my belief in God's forgiveness. That if you gave me the option, you can be, you can be judged by Allah or your mom. I would look at my mom and say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <laughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is Arhamur Rahimi. He is more capable of showing mercy to me than my own mother. And there's nothing like a mother's love. There's nothing strong. I don't think there's anything stronger in the world than a mother's love. You know, they say the only thing stronger than a man's pride is a mother's love. Right? Nothing strong in the world. Right? So this is what we're talking about in Tawbah. Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.